in chapter 8. I originally had planned this morning to uh, go through verse 47. Uh, We will probably end at verse 36. It is our normative practice here to go through a book of the Bible at a time uh, in its context. And so this week we pick up our study in verse 31 because last time we ended in verse 30. It's not scientific, but it works. We're going to begin, uh, as we always do, we want to begin by seeking the Lord in prayer over his word. Uh, Then we'll read the entirety of the passage and then break it down, looking for the aim and the application of the text. So please join me in prayer. Father, we are thankful for your written word to us this morning. We come to you in Jesus Christ, who is the word made flesh by your grace and for your glory. And we ask, Father, for your grace this morning to give us ears to hear and a willing spirit to do what your word says. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. John 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. This is the life-changing, spirit-empowered word of God. So this morning as we think about this text, I want us to think about what Jesus is doing here. See, Jesus is not concerned about building a large following Unless that following is a people of genuine saving faith. Jesus is not concerned about filling up a room full of people with fickle faith. He's concerned with filling a room full of the genuine. And so, of course, in every room... Guess what? There are room in every room. There are those who are of fickle faith, of a faith that will fade. And there are those that are of a solid, genuine, born again faith in Jesus Christ. And so in our passage, Jesus is making some distinction here. And our aim here at Spring Hill Church has been this all along, I hope, is that My desire, at least personally, is to build big Christians. And that in doing so, I have confidence that healthy, genuine, born-again followers of Jesus, those who are great commissioned saints, those who are disciple-making disciples, they will reproduce. They will make others like them. In our passage today, Jesus challenges those who have believed him. He points to them that freedom comes at a cost. He also points out to them that 
Without Jesus Christ, no one is free. There is no one who is free. The world demands freedom, don't they? The world around us, in every aspect of things, when we, we're opposed to a lot of stuff that's going on in the news, a lot of things that are changing, things that they want to introduce into our schools and, and all of those kinds of things that they want to introduce into the schools is about people saying that they want freedom, but what do they want freedom from and what do they actually want to be freed to? When the worldly demand freedom, what they really mean is this. I want autonomy. I want to be free from any encumbrances. I want autonomy. That in myself is the truth. In myself is how I ought to live. How I decide to live. I want autonomy. It's not freedom. It's actually a trap that enslaves a person. Infringement on personal autonomy right now in our world is the world's idea of great sin. You and I as Christians who are intolerant, who say that the authority of Scripture speaks to your issue and that God is on the throne, so what God says is how we ought to behave. You who say that, this the world hears as a great sin. You are infringing upon my fundamental right to freedom. No, I've infringed on your autonomy. I've not infringed on your freedom whatsoever, but I have infringed on your autonomy. You can't tell me to live according to the gender that I was born in. If you tell me that I have to live according to the gender that I was born with, then guess what? You have infringed on my fundamental right to freedom. You can't tell me with whom I may express my sexuality. If you do, you'll rob me of my freedom. That is what our society is screaming. Freedom. That's what they would say. That you are infringing upon their freedom. We will discover in our passage that the desire for autonomy, which is independence from any authority outside of ourselves, that alone, that in itself has enslaved us to our sin. And that only faith in Jesus Christ in total dependence upon grace sets us free. So let us look at this passage more closely and see as Jesus addresses those who had believed. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will say you will become free? So as we continue our study of John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching in and around the temple at the conclusion of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is getting us back to some context. Jesus testifies that, that what uh, in reality that they were celebrating is that God had provided Israel for Israel in their wilderness wanderings was found in Him. In John chapter 7, uh, Jesus is the water that has miraculously been provided from the rock. Jesus in chapter 6 was the new manna sent from heaven. And in last Sunday's text, Jesus proclaims that He is 
the cloud, the glory of God illuminating the way of life and that in Him is the constant presence of God. You remember from last week, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So upon that, we ended our section last time in verse 30, which says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Jesus is not concerned, as I said before, about building a a large following unless that following is a people of genuine saving faith. So Jesus begins our section with a statement about the distinction between those who are of a spurious faith, those who are of a fickle faith, a faith that is choked out by the cares of the world, a faith that has no root in itself, and then what a genuine faith is, what a saving faith is, a freed-from-sin faith, a grace-dependent faith, a faith that is rooted and grounded in the love of God, a faith that perseveres through any circumstances. See, if you are truly the called of God, if you are those who will follow Jesus, who is the light of the world, that He is the lamp unto your feet, Jesus says in verse 31, the genuine will persevere in faithful dependence upon my word. He's making a distinction. I had to wrestle with this idea that it was believers, right? What kind of believers? Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you are my disciples, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. You will abide and live in, in faithful dependence upon my word. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, the New King James Version reads like this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those who diligently seek him. Those are the genuine. And he's making this distinction between the fickle faith, fickle of faith, and those who are genuine. Those of fickle faith and those of saving faith believe this in this group, that Jesus is the light of the world. But only those with saving faith diligently abide in his word, believing that Jesus is a rewarder that Jesus is a rewarder of those who genuinely seek Him. And those who genuinely seek Him, they are perseverers who seek Him even when everything else stands in stark opposition to the world. When everything opposes the Word of God, will you surrender to the Word of God itself? Because look around us. Everything is opposed to the Word of God and the way God's order is for things. That's the world that we are living in. But will you and I, as believers, remain steadfast in His Word, trusting diligently in His Word when the world is contrary to it? The world says that that what you believe is a farce, that it's folly, that you're the fool. Will you stand steadfast in the Word of God, diligently seeking Him? But Jesus says this, that when everything stands in stark opposition, that the true disciples will diligently seek His Word, that they will abide in His Word, they will stay steadfast in His Word. And then Jesus says that there is a reward for the true disciple, for the one who perseveres when all things are opposed to His Word. There's there's a reward. And He says it right here in this passage. Knowledge of the truth. That is the reward for the obedient 
For the abiding person who abides in the word of God will know the truth. And then Jesus says, that knowledge of the truth makes the disciple of Jesus Christ free. It makes them free. So this morning, I pose a lot of questions for us to ponder. Not that I'm going to give you answers to a lot of these questions. But these are things that I hope that you will ponder this week. Number one is, are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Will you persevere to the end? It is only those who will abide in Christ and abide in his word that will be overcomers in the end. It is only those who entrust themselves fully to Christ and his word that will overcome in the end. He who overcomes, according to Revelation, will be rewarded with the tree of life, will not be hurt by the second death, will be given hidden manna, will be given a new name, will be given authority to rule and reign with Christ, will be a pillar in the temple of God, will be granted to seat with Christ on the throne. Only those who believe that he is and believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Those who have not loved their own lives, even unto death. The steadfast in the word of God are the overcomers. Are you a true disciple? I pause to ask this question. Let it sit there for a minute because then I'm going to pose another question, which is more of a test to answer that question for you. When you come and listen to a sermon, do you search the scriptures daily to see if those things are so? Do you listen to the preacher on the radio and he's giving some message and do you follow it up by opening up your word and see if what he's telling you is so? Is it true? Do you abide in his word? As the psalmist writes in Psalm 1, The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. It is the blessed person's meditation day and night. The one who abides in the word of Christ is like a firm tree that produces fruit in its season and does not wither when the world opposes them because they have been rewarded with the truth and that the truth has set them free. I would ask, are you truly a disciple? I'll ask this then why did you skip your devotional reading three times last week? Are you truly a disciple? Then why didn't you ponder and investigate the questions that the sermon preached to you last week, that the word came across to you? Why did you not seek those things out? Why did you not investigate those things? Will you persevere to the end? Will you remain in Christ? Is your faith fickle or is it saving? See the evidence. There's evidence, brothers and sisters, whether your faith is fickle or whether your faith is saving or whether your faith will endure to the end. And the evidence is that you and I who are dependent upon the word of truth for everyday faith and everyday practice. We don't have a compartmentalized faith when we come Sunday morning and hear a message and that's it. 
We have a faith that is dependent hour by hour, minute by minute upon God's word and his truth, abiding in that truth. That is the evidence of a saving faith, of a lasting faith. If it's not your practice, make it your practice now. Because it is that which will help you to endure in the end. It will reveal the truth of God and it will, as Jesus says, as your reward, it will set you free in Christ Jesus. It will set you free. In verse 33 of our passage, the Jews answer him and they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, they would say, we are Jews. We are no one's slaves. We have rights to enter worship of God freely by our birthright. How is it that you say we will be free? That's what they ask. You and I might say, I came here of my own free will. I came here to this worship service today of my own free will. I am an American. I am beholden to no person. I am beholden to no government. Unless you've been set free by the Son of God, you are not free. No one is free. As I said at the outset this morning, in our world, autonomy is the highest virtue. And it alone seems to be the measuring stick for how the world defines freedom. Freedom means, in our society, self-directing moral independence. I'm going to repeat that. It's, it's worth noting. That freedom in our society means self-directing moral independence. Moral independence from not only God, but from societal norms. Moral independence from biology. I deny my biology, that's my truth. I have no moral obligation, no moral dependence upon what it is that even my biology is made up from. But you see, moral independence from God, that is what most of the world wants. This is how freedom is defined by the unregenerate person. If you are not born again, that is how you define freedom. I have moral independence from God. I will not stand underneath the authority of Scripture. I will not have this man rule over me. The fool in his heart says there is no God. He says there is no God because he wants moral independence from God. He wants freedom. Free from the dictates of the Scripture. Where did this idea begin? Well, let us turn, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Let us look at verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, in the beginning, humankind was made to be free. Free to have constant communion with God. Free to enjoy the blessings of God's creation. And the serpent makes an offer of autonomy. Eve thinks this is freedom. She's thinking, I have freedom to commune with my God and to enjoy the fruits of paradise. 
And Satan whispers a lie and says, God has limited your freedom. But God has put limits on my freedom. That's what she thinks. And so she thinks, if I eat of this tree, then I will truly be free. I will have moral independence from God. I will be free to do what is right according to me. I will be like God. I will not need his rule. I will not need his reign. I will not need his protection. I will not need his benevolence. I will not need his comfort. According to Augustine, there are four states derived from Scripture that correspond to four states of man in relation to sin. We are able to sin, able not to sin. Number two, not able to not sin. Number three, able not to sin. Four, unable to sin. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were able to sin and able not to sin. They had an innocent freedom. But all of us, that's you and me, who were born after Adam and Eve, after the fall, were not able to not sin. All we can do is sin. And you might say, I know atheists who are, you know, morally behaving people. They, they have no outward sin in their life. They have the most grievous sin there is. Unbelief. And they can't conjure that belief and faith up in themselves, you see, because they're not free. They're not able to not sin. God has to act. God has to act upon them, upon the unregenerated. But the regenerated, blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, who abides in his word till the end, is enabled by grace to not sin. The final state of man, which I'm looking forward to this day, in the glorious realm, being fully remade, being fully renewed, I will be in a position, and you and I will be in a position where we'll be unable to sin. What a glorious day that will be. But in Christ, you see, what he's saying here is, in Christ you have freedom to not sin that you didn't have before. But it's only in Jesus that you have that freedom. If you are not in Jesus Christ, guess what? You do not have the freedom to not sin. You're going to sin. And you're just going to continue to sin. And the most grievous one of all, my friends, is unbelief. So Jesus, in 34 through 36, is again making a distinction between those of fickle faith and those of a saving faith. Jesus showed the people of God that here's what you are saved from and what you are saved to. Let's look at verses 34 through 36. Of chapter 8. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in a house forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. As Jesus answers the question, How is it that you say you will become free? He says, Unless, unless the Son sets you free, you are uh, not able to not sin. The true disciple who abides in my word is rewarded with the truth. Rewarded with the truth that by grace, 
and by the power of God's regenerating work in their soul is set free not to make a practice of sinning. That's the idea, not to make a practice of sinning. You're set free to not make that your life's practice. How do we, how do we not make that our life's practice? Well, Jesus already told us, abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? That's how we uh, make, not make, uh, make it so that we're not practicing sin. But he says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So he's showing this distinction, right? That those who have been set free in Christ have been set free not to make a practice of sin anymore. Do they sin? Yes, but it's not their practice. It's not their aim. It's not the trajectory of their life. They are those who abide in the truth and the truth sets them free from that tendency, right? But those who are not in Christ can just not not sin and they are slaves to that sin. Unless the Son sets us free, we are not free. The true disciple who abides in God's word is rewarded with that truth that he is set free. Unless you and I are born again, we are a slave to obey our fallen state, aren't we? Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves to the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. We are going to be a slave, you see. We are not going to have full autonomy ever. Moral independence from God, ever. But if you're born again and and the love of God penetrates your heart in such a way as He saved you from that, why would you want independence from Him at all? You've been joined to Him. The problem was we were separated from Him, right? Right? So abide in his word. So if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. And remember, freedom does not mean autonomy. Freedom in Christ is a grace-dependent faith. It is all grace-dependent faith. And here's what I mean. The scriptures tell us in 1 Peter chapter 2, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Does that sound like you have freedom but not autonomy? It does. You are free, but don't use that freedom as a cover-up for what is evil and what is sinful, but live as servants of God. The true disciple is accountable to God. Further yet, The true disciple is accountable to God and also to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, exercising their freedom together. In Galatians 5, verse 13, it says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So I'd ask today as we conclude this, are you free today? Is your faith a saving faith? Will your faith prove out at the end to be fickle? Or will it endure all the way to the end? Are you abiding in the word? Or is your Christianity a Sunday only kind of thing? And even that only upon special occasion Sundays. 
Is your faith daily like the Bereans? Searching the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Abiding in Christ, abiding in the truth, knowing that Jesus not only is, but that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think it's such a great reward to think that we have been set free in Christ. We don't celebrate that freedom quite as much as we ought to. We are free in Christ Jesus. He has set us free. Praise God. He came to set the captives free. You and I were captives, right? And when you hear this, does anybody think that they could save themselves? Is there any way that a slave could set themselves free, one who is dead in their trespasses and sins? God has set us free in Christ Jesus by faith. I pray that that is you this morning.